0: Popular Pig is also made possible by Johnsonville Foods, Hypoor Genetics, Minitube, Brenneman Pork, Fibro Animal Health, Swine Robotics, Innovative Heating, and Pigequipment.com. Brought to you by American Resources.
1: Welcome to the Popular Pig Podcast. My name is Matthew Roto, your host for today's episode. Today joining us is Elizabeth Rumley. How are you today, Elizabeth?
2: I'm good. How are you, Matthew?
1: Doing great. Excited to talk with you about proposals impacting animal agriculture. I guess we heard you speak about this at AASV, uh, shoot, uh, not even a month ago. Right. And there's a lot going on, especially in the state of Iowa where I'm at, because they're in session right now. And I just thought it made a lot of sense to talk with you about this topic. Before we get started, I'd like it if you could give me a little bit of a background on how you got involved in agriculture. You're a lawyer, and what brought you to ag?
2: Well, it's a, a family background, although not in animal agriculture. Uh, my family has a row crop operation, mostly specialty crops, and we have gone to our farmer's market in our hometown since well before our farmer's markets were a thing to do. Um, and then I, after law school, I came down to Arkansas to earn an LLM in Agricultural Law. So that's a law, advanced law degree specializing in ag law. And when I was down here, it was a one-year program. When I was down here, I was offered this position at the National Agricultural Law Center, and uh, you know, story wrote itself from there.
1: That's awesome. So to kind of start things off, I, I really want to dig into the, the law side of things. We were talking, and really, about a week ago, I was at the state capitol uh, meeting with uh, committee chairs and, and representatives and, and senators at, at the capitol uh, through the I- IPPA, and you had said something that really resonated, and it was, ag doesn't exist in a vacuum. Other things affect ag outside of our control. And the law is one example in regards to what we can and can't do. And if you could, could you elaborate on what what is the process of how or first off, how does law impact agriculture? And then we'll kind of get into the, the deeper weeds around that.
2: I think it's probably easier to think about how law doesn't impact agriculture. And I okay. guess that would be in, you know, the amount of food you give to an animal each day or, you know, what. Steps you take in terms of making an animal get from faro to finish because everything else, or the law touches so many parts of just our day to day life, and obviously that goes for agriculture too. Everything from the barns that are put into place to the property that the barns are placed on, um, the environmental restrictions that are um, required of producers that are in large scale production, Um, even Animal welfare concerns, what you can, the you know, um, the size of cages that you can put swine in is one great example, and one I'll talk about a little bit later. Um, The slaughtering process that happens when the animals reach that stage, and all of those, the places you can sell the, the the pork after it's slaughtered, all of those have laws that affect what you can and cannot do, and you might not think about it in those terms, but it really impacts and sort of shapes the whole idea of what agriculture is and what agricultural producers can do with their product, with their job on a day to day basis.
1: Gotcha. So, when we think through that towards the end here, we're going to really get into how producers can protect and cultivate a positive future for animal agriculture. But before we get there, some context around the process I think would be good just briefly. I want to get in too many weeds, but when a bill is proposed, um, whether it's a crazy one or a really good one, could you talk through what that process at a high level looks like and, and kind of those steps?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So if it's going through the normal legislative process, you have a bill that's proposed. Typically, you have at least one sponsor, obviously the person who makes the proposal, but usually they have some other co-sponsors. That's the hope, at least, of other people who also are in favor of what this bill looks like. Uh, After it's proposed, typically it is sent to a committee uh, that's relevant to the topic. So, an agricultural committee, uh, environmental committee, uh, banking committee, whatever relevant committee is it would be sent to. Um, It can go, it can stay in that committee. It can go to different committees uh, after it sort of kicks around in the committee process. At some point, the hope is that it will be referred to the floor. When it goes to the floor of that chamber, Uh, then it a lot of times is discussed. Hopefully, eventually, it gets to a vote. Um, If it passes that chamber, then it will be referred over to the other chamber because we have, when I say chamber, we have the House and the Senate in most of the states. And so many times there will either be a similar bill that's already pending in the opposite chamber and they'll be able to combine them, uh, but sometimes it Goes over to the other chamber for consideration. If you can get both chambers to agree on the same language for whatever that bill is, um, and it passes both chambers, typically it will go to the uh, executive head of that state. So, usually the governor will be able to decide whether to sign off on it, in which case it becomes law. Or if they don't sign off on it, there's usually a way that the legislature can override that veto on part of the governor. A lot of that, though, while those are the big broad strokes of what happens, a lot of that um, in terms of the really specific things, how many votes you need for a veto, whether the governor needs to sign it or if they can just sort of sit on it and all of a sudden that's, it becomes law, um, those are going to be really dependent on the state that you're in.
1: Gotcha. And I guess one more piece of context that, that might add, because I'm I'm probably going to ask you a Prop 12 question. Um, When California, California does something a little goofy, right? They allow you to almost pay your buy, buy ballot space for a bill or something. Could you talk at least about the uniqueness of California's thing? Because I know Iowa doesn't do that and how that enabled Prop 12 to even get on the ballot.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So that's not the normal legislative structure, but Prop 12, while it is sort of different, it's called a ballot initiative. California is not unique in it. There I think about half the states have ballot initiative or ballot proposal ideas. I know Arkansas is one of them. And what happens when you have a ballot proposal is you have an, a group of people who are interested in doing um in in proposing a law and instead of going to the legislature and saying to their legislator, I believe that you should propose this bill, what they can do is they can make a ballot proposal. And so they write up the language for whatever proposed statutory enactment that they have. And they take that language and they request that it be approved as a ballot proposal. When they get a certain, if if it's approved, when they get a certain number of signatures on it, typically it's, I, I mean, we're not talking like 10 signatures, typically it's some percentage of the registered voters within the state again it's going to change mm-hmm. every state. then it becomes something that the uh, voters will vote on directly. I know a lot of states have done uh, obviously agriculture is one of them prop 12 is one. The original animal confinement law that was passed in, in Florida was another one. Um, we've had uh, similar ones that are pending in or were pending in Colorado. And in Oregon, that would also affect agriculture. And all of those are ballot proposals. Um, so it, it it is a very different approach, but it's not definitely not unique to California and not unique to agriculture. A lot of states have done that for like medical marijuana or uh, recreational use marijuana. Okay. If you don't have the legislature to vote directly on it, you have the people to make that decision.
1: Well, cool. No, thanks for the context on the front end. Now that we're kind of going to get into the meat of this, what are some of the proposals that are impacting animal agriculture, as you see, I guess, as some of the most important ones?
2: Absolutely. So I think, as we talked about already, uh, Farm Animal Confinement and Prop 12, its implementation is a really big uh, effect, especially on swine production, uh, and one that is something to be aware of that's happening in different states, especially in California. Uh, I think because of COVID, uh, slaughter and processing is also an issue and the laws that are being proposed in different states that might change the regulation of what is required to slaughter and process meat. Um, As producers are are looking to do some more direct sales, I think that that's a really big issue. Uh, We have right to farm proposals, Uh, right to farm laws are passed in all 50 states. And they limit the lawsuits that can be brought against producers by neighboring landowners for things like bad smells and bugs and um those kind of like a nuisance not so lawsuit. exciting things exactly yeah. they're nuisance lawsuits not okay. not not so pleasant things that agricultural production can sometimes bring and then finally, I do think that the ballot proposals are important there was one pending in California. in a Colorado, and there is one pending in Oregon, and both of them, if they had been passed, would have really significant impacts on animal ag within those states.
1: Gotcha. So on on the state level, could you speak to some of the things that are are being proposed um, to be passed by the legislature?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So let me start with these confinement statutes. So, Prop 12, as you mentioned, is a really big part of that. And what these confinement statutes do all across the country are they limit or limit the type of housing that animals can be placed in. And we're looking at it specifically in three types of animals pregnant sows, veal calves, and laying hens. And because these are laws that are passed by state governments, It is going to really depend what that specific state says in terms of what it is that you can do. So, these started back in Florida, they started in Florida in 2002, and they have gone really to a large portion of the country, at least the proposals. Um, I think we're at about 15 states or so that have them actually passed, but this is something that we see every single year as different states will propose to add these farm animal confinement statute to their to the legislation and ultimately um, potentially to their laws. Uh, The biggest one that has the impact right now is obviously going to be Prop 12, which was passed in California. And Prop 12 is sort of different because it doesn't just limit the living conditions of animals within the state of California. Instead, Prop 12, as it was passed, limits the type of meat that can be sold in California. And it says that if you would like to sell, this is obviously a very brief, light paraphrase. If you would like yes. to sell pork within the state of California, it needs to be from pigs that were born to sows that were raised in large housing. So it's very specific housing. And there's requirements as to the housing that has To be in place. So, what that does, in effect, and I'm not an economist, but just generally speaking, what that does is if you're a producer in Iowa and you would like to sell your pork, your product, to people, consumers in the state of California, then you have to have housing that is compliant with the California requirements. And that's not going to be. battery cages for laying hens, and it's not going to be gestation crates or sows. And so when you're looking at this from like an integrated system, um, it's also going to require that the integrators, who do obviously want to utilize this California market, it's going to require that the integrators require that their producers adopt these types of housing requirements.
1: hmm and so a lot of the cost um for the producer is all of the renovations or new barns that they're going to have to build and because of the space requirements there's going to be a decrease in in production.
2: Yes. Those are those are both really good points. The the cost of housing, uh the decrease in production um are going to are, are really going to affect production. So there is so that is actually um Technically, it has gone into effect. It passed in 2018, and it went into effect this past year. But what happened was there have been a couple different lawsuits that have been filed challenging Prop 12. Uh, One of them is pending in front of the Supreme Court, uh, the United States Supreme Court. Uh, All along, agriculture or the agricultural interests who brought the case challenging it have lost both at the district court and at the circuit court. They have requested that the United States Supreme Court hear these cases, but as of right now, that they have not agreed to do so. Uh, but there is another case that's actually a California state court case, and it was brought by the His- California Hispanic Chamber of Commerce. Uh, what they are doing or what they have done is they asked for a freeze on enforcement. They said, we don't know yet what these specific requirements are in terms of what housing is required. Um and so forth, so, in order to make sure that we are abiding by these rules that are not yet identified yeah. we <laughs> we'd like the court to put a freeze on this and say you can't enforce it until we know what the regulations say, and the court agreed, and so um the court the California state court um has said that the agencies have to finalize the regulations for prop twelve. And then 180 days after the regulations are finalized, they can begin enforcing it.
1: Gotcha. So part of this too, if you're bringing anything to the Supreme Court, you have a pretty good feeling that you have a case against something in the bill. I guess What is the the precedence that Prop 12 could set that is most that people should be most concerned about outside of the swine industry?
2: Well, what the the foundation of their concern is. Is it's based on the Commerce Clause. And the Commerce Clause is a uh, portion of the Constitution that says that Congress is responsible for passing laws that affect the entire country, and each state can pass laws that affect themselves. And obviously, there's going to be a couple asterisks next to it. Uh, This is a whole, whole semester class in law school. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm not going to go into the real, real details. But what they're arguing is that California, you can't pass these laws because it affects what I'm doing in Iowa. And so that's something that Congress could do, but it's not something that you, California, should be able to do on your own.
1: Fair. So what other proposals are affecting animal agriculture right now?
2: Absolutely. I think another one uh, to be aware of is um, law proposals surrounding uh, slaughter and processing of meat, especially with COVID, there was an COVID happening, and there was you know shutdowns in large scale facilities, and there were folks that were more interested in where their food was coming from and so forth. So there have been laws that have been proposed in several of the states um, that have suggested, for example, creating their own state meat inspection and becoming part of a state meat inspection program. Arkansas, for example, just passed one creating their state meat inspection program, and Oregon did the same thing. Um, Other states have taken a little bit different approach. One of the sort of hallmark requirements of slaughter and processing in the United States is it's governed by the Food Safety Inspection Service. They're the ones that sort of oversee it. They have the responsibility to do so. But one of the really big things requirements is that any time the slaughter and processing lines run or any that that a veterinarian or a inspector specifically needs to be there inspecting it the whole time, uh, and that's different than for example, meat that is processed in a custom harvest situation uh, where it is just processed for the owner and that owner does not sell it. But the difference is if you're planning on selling the meat, it needs to be inspected. It needs to go through a inspected scheme. So a couple state or several states have tried to sort of change that requirement. For example, um in pull up one of my in the state of Maine and Indiana and Montana last year all of them had proposals that would allow custom slaughterhouses, so for ex- people that don't have the inspection process, that would allow those slaughterhouses to sell the meat to the public rather than just huh. doing it for the owner. None of them passed, and FSIS has said very you know, vehemently that it would be a problem if it did pass because it's a violation of the federal law that says it has to be inspected. But these are different things that are sort of kicking around state houses and things to be aware of.
1: So I was doing some looking around. And another thing I found, and I'm I'm not sure if it was the Supreme Court what did it or or who did it. But the idea of it being illegal to be employed under false pretenses for the purpose of um, kind of doing undercover work. Mm-hmm. They had overturned that, I think, to say that that is that is no it's not illegal. That it is perfectly legal if if somebody get, is an employee employee, and for the purpose of of doing that, and that it's up to the employer to better vet their their people. Is is that true? Is that one of the things that's going through?
2: Well, that's that's nothing to do with slaughter. Let me note that. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. You're, yeah. Ta- you're talking about so-called ag gag laws.
1: Yes, ag gag. Yes,
2: right. And so. Those are, again, state laws, and I know what you're referring to is the Iowa decision that actually happened within the past couple of weeks. So what happened in Iowa? Uh, so these, these laws have been passed in several different places, and what they do is they, uh, many of them sort of broadly speaking, place limitations on recording undercover videos in animal ag operations and then releasing them. Uh, animal rights groups, animal interest groups, have done that in the past, uh, pretty significantly. Um, so that's one of the things that they do. Uh, other ones will, as you said, uh, say that you can't lie on an application, um, and that there's some other requirements that are placed on these kinds of these yeah. kinds of bills. So in Iowa, what happened is uh, there's actually been a couple different versions of it that have been passed the first one was struck down because what happened was these interest groups these animal rights groups challenged the law and they said well you can't limit this because I have free speech rights to record this and then release it so you're limiting my speech in doing that and so Iowa came back and they passed a different version Um, and so what happened within these past couple of weeks is the court in Iowa said this one also violates uh, the First Protection, first Amendment protections that are in place. And because of that, they struck the law down as unconstitutional because it violates huh. the First Amendment.
1: Yes. Yeah, so that'd be another thing that's going on is the ag, ag. And then I guess so oh, yeah. probably the last one I kind of want to hit on is uh, moratoriums on uh, like buildings and stuff like that. It's, I think I, I've seen that going through a lot of states. It's just uh, the prevention of building new facilities. Have you seen much of that in many states?
2: Um, not enough that I'd feel comfortable talking about it. Okay. Um, There are, I, I know what you're, what you're talking about and I'm aware of sort of the issue, but I don't know where it is enough that I, I would want to go into it.
1: Okay. Is there any other particular uh, proposals that are affecting uh, animal agriculture that you think producers should be aware of?
2: Yeah. And I think that the two that I want to talk about to finish this out would be two that are not at this moment pending, but I think they're great examples of how producers can get engaged and examples of sort of how this process can work. Okay. Uh, Both of them were ballot proposals, and one was in Colorado and one was in Oregon. In Colorado, it's called Initiative 16, and it was a ballot proposal this past go-around, this past legislative cycle, that was supposed to go on the ballot this past November. It ended up being um, removed from the ballot because the Supreme Court of the state of Colorado said that there was too many topics, too many subjects within it. And it violated a a Colorado rule that said a ballot proposal can only talk about one topic. But what it would do is it would really put significant restrictions on animal ag to the point of almost eliminating agriculture within that state. One of the things that it did was it would prohibit the slaughter of livestock unless the animal has lived one quarter of its natural lifespan. And then they then defined what this natural lifespan was. So when you're talking about swine, the natural lifespan is fifteen years. so unless you can transfer these swine to uh living for about three and a half years before they're slaughtered, then it would really limit the uh the the growth and ability of that industry to operate in that state. The other part uh, would eliminate some fairly common um, animal husbandry practices by redefining a sexual act with an animal to include anything that it was an intrusion into the animal's anus or genitalia. So things like artificial insemination, IVF, flushing, embryo transfer, semen collection, um, maybe things like trick testing or castration as well. All of those would be eliminated underneath sleeving proposal. like
1: sleeving us out to assist a birthing even be considered.
2: It would be. Yes. Oh, wow. Because it's talking about any intrusion or penetration, however slight. Oh. So it, that is something that would be included. Um, and so, as I said, this is not a proposal that they actually voted on in Colorado because the Supreme Court said that it was too broad. But that doesn't mean that it's not going to be proposed next year. Yeah. And it would have to go through that process of getting approved and then getting a a certain number of um, signatures before the voters would vote on it directly. The other one is in Oregon. And uh, I actually read just today that this has been removed from the ballot because they did not get as many signatures as they needed. But the people who are um, sort of sponsoring it have said that they're they're going to start again for the next ballot in 2022. They're going to start the signature gathering process. What the Oregon ballot proposal would require is it would remove current exemptions to animal cruelty laws. What it would say is you cannot, right now we have uh, exemptions for slaughter. So it says it's not animal cruelty if you're slaughtering an animal that to eat. What it would do, is it would remove that exemption. It would say it is animal cruelty to slaughter an animal. The only exemptions that would be left would be it is animal cruelty to slaughter an animal unless you are protecting yourself or unless it is in the course of veterinary practice. Those are the only two exemptions that would be left.
1: So uh, technically the DNR should be getting involved because then hunting animals would also be off of the you- Hunting, yes.
2: Hunting, fishing, trapping would all be um, off the table. Uh, rodeo, exhibition, that kind of things. Those would all be gone as well.
1: So how do producers get involved? When things like this come up, how do they get involved?
2: Well, it it's going to depend on sort of what route they're taking. Uh, it's always a good idea to be aware of what is happening with your legislature. You can do that by being involved in an industry group, watching the industry press, that kind of thing. Um, You can follow the National Agricultural Law Center. We have, we frequently do um, social media posts and other posts talking about things that are happening on the state level. But it's a lot easier to get involved before something has passed. So that puts the sort of spurs, puts a requirement on the producer to be aware of what's pending, not just what's already passed already. Once you hear something that's pending, learn more about it. See if this is something that you believe would be helpful or harmful. And explain to your legislatures why you believe it would be helpful or harmful. If it's a ballot proposal like we're talking about here, become involved with interest groups that believe the same way that you do and work with them to get your viewpoint out there. Uh, Prop 12, there was millions of dollars that were spent on both sides saying you should vote for this and you shouldn't vote for this. So there's money that is being put into these kinds of things by both groups. Um, and But you need to be aware of it before it's happening because it's a lot easier to change something before it becomes law than to come back and try to change it after.
1: Yeah, and it's surprising how simple it really is to get in touch with legislators. I mean, especially like iowa they're in session right now and you can literally walk into the state capitol walk up to the door write your name on a card and they uh an individual will go walk and get the representative to come out and talk with you for 10 to 15 minutes and that conversation might be all you need to to make a difference especially if you can get to the those on the committee because if it doesn't even if it gets blocked at committee well then we don't even have to worry about it <laughs> Getting beyond that might be even easier. So yeah, the the earlier we get there, the better. And it doesn't it's not rocket science. Maybe even if it's just one day a year you commit to going to your state capital or connecting with legislators, that, that one day, if a whole lot of leaders in our industry commit to that, it makes a huge impact.
2: Absolutely. Yesterday was Ag Day. This was a great time to be there. It was a great time to to show the legislatures what your opinions are and to influence what their decisions may be.
1: For sure. So to wrap things up, I asked a couple questions. The first one I like to ask is what is something unique about you that most people you work with do not know?
2: Oh man. Uh, When I was in high school and college, I was involved in a group called mock trial and it was a really big part of uh, both my high school and and college experiences. And it led me, it really opened a lot of doors for me in terms of the internships that I got in law school, and then sort of shaped my path beyond even that. So it's something that was really important to me, and I really enjoyed doing it.
1: Cool. So get involved, get involved, you never know where it might go.
2: Absolutely. Those internships, even if they're unpaid, are they can be invaluable in terms of the people that you meet.
1: So the second question would be: What is a golden nugget or life lesson that you've had that you would like to share with listeners? Doesn't have to be ag-related; just can be broad. What would you share as a as a valid life lesson?
2: I think I would follow up with what I said before, in that internships and meeting people can have a really big impact on the path that your life ends up taking. It's really hard to teach ambition, and if you are putting yourself out there and doing everything you can to make sure that you get grab every opportunity then things sort of fall into place i think a lot better than if you sat back and waited for for this to come to you
1: well awesome well thank you for joining us on the popular big podcast it's been a real pleasure i really appreciate you providing all the context around the law the active ongoing uh, proposals, as well as the the life lessons. And really thank you for taking the time.
2: Well, I was glad to be here. Thank you so much. And if you or your listeners have any questions, feel free to send me an email. Uh, I work at the National Agricultural Law Center. And my email address is erumley, that's E-R-U-M-L-E-Y at U-A-R-K E-D-U.
1: Awesome. Thank you.
2: Thank you. Bye.